0: Hey, listen, uh, great to be with you again this morning. My name is Glenn, if you're visiting here this morning, one of the pastors, elders here at the church. Uh, If you have a Bible with you, and it'd be a really good idea if you did, either the printed version or your phone tablet, open it to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter five. We are in a series, as you can see from our screen up here, and we have been for, I think this is the ninth or 10th week, can you believe it? And we're only finishing chapter five today. The good life, uh, human flourishing according to Jesus, I think it's been a fascinating, well, it it has to be a fascinating series, not because of me, but it's the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus, (laughs) by anybody, but it's by Jesus. So I I just want to thank you for the encouragement that we've been receiving over the last several months. I know that uh, some of the stuff we've looked at has been challenging, Uh, it's been a little difficult, and yet um, it's really been good for our hearts to hear Christ speak to us and encourage us. And, and we know that the, the, currently that we've been going through these, what are called antitheses, six of them, say that six times fast. Uh, I've been calling them examples because it's easier to say that, of what it looks like to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. And again, when Jesus said that, that that's what is required, it wasn't a matter of, well, you've got a lot of work to do, kids. No, it was a matter of he's giving it to us. He has purchased his perfect righteousness to give to us And he's given it to us. And that's why when we look at the Beatitudes, we are flourishing. We are blessed. is because we've already received these things. So today we're going to combine a look at the last two of the six. And your sermon title for today is because we're doing both is Wrongs, Rights, and Flourishing Love. I'm going to read our text for today and then I'll pray one more time. Read with me. Beginning in verse 38 to 48, the end of the chapter. Jesus speaking. Who would borrow from you? Hmm. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust, for if you love those who love you, what, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, um, what an amazing uh, privilege it is, Lord, uh, to be in your presence, to be able to gather together as your children, as sons and daughters of yours. But also, Lord, to, to, uh, to have these words of Jesus recorded and preserved so that not only we, we, we can read them and hear them read, um, see them with our eyes but that we can have you, Holy Spirit, reveal to us the truth that these are the words of Christ, that these are wisdom, supreme wisdom, and these are words of love. So Holy Spirit, I thank you. Father, Son, I thank you so much for this time that we've had so far in your sermon, Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take mine, and and you would you would illuminate it, that you would anoint it, um, and you would make it helpful to all of us. And I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So, as I was preparing this week for this duo, uh, I got to say that um, you know I'm thinking about a few things and. It was crazy. One thing that came to my mind, as it typically does, I was thinking back to my high school years, so that was a very long time ago, uh, but there was a movie that came out, um, and it was like a B movie, it, like at the time people were like, you know, it's, it's, it's not a Hollywood star or whatever, and, uh, but oh man, it, it became one of those cult movies. It became so popular, and it was, it was about this this man who had had a tragedy in his family and this small town that he'd moved to, and... Um, and, and, and yeah, there was some injustice to say the least, there was a lot of crime in this little small town, and uh, well, he, he decided to take the law into his own hands, and he, he got this big stick, talk about, you know, walking with a big stick, right? This guy did, and he literally used that stick to beat on the perpetrator. Well, this, the story went on, and, and uh, things got worse for him and his family, and he ends up becoming the sheriff of this town, and... and he becomes not only the hero in this town, but he becomes a hero in the movie and people who are watching it, because why? Well, because he was the personification of the vigilante. <laughs> the one who would get even with those who are evil. And he would use the stick. <laughs> it was a big, it was like a log, right? Well, I, I, I mentioned that because, listen, I, I know that we're now in in days where we would probably be thinking to ourselves, you know, we're decades past the wild, wild west, right? And we don't, we don't behave that way today. Like you and I don't, right? But the truth is, if we think about it, that spirit is alive and well in our world, in our culture, and sometimes in our hearts. And Jesus wants to deal with that. So that was one thought. You can tell, obviously, during the week, I need counseling, where my head goes and my mind goes, but that's one thought I had. was to, There was an example of not only a vigilante, but someone who, in the movie and in the media and in public opinion, was, was a hero because of what he did. I think we'll see today that Jesus has a little different thought about that. But then there was also the subject of our rights, right? Um, I mean... We live in, and and I know because, again, when I was in my early 20s, I I thought at one point in time I wanted to become a lawyer because I saw all these legal shows on television. Of course, I wanted to be a defender of the ones who were, you know, accused of a a terrible, terrible crime, and I would get them off, right? Because they were truly innocent, right? Of course, that would have been my hope. And and, and then I discovered over time, and I'm thankful. I love lawyers. I mentioned that last week. But we, we are... Literally, in our culture and world today, are we not the most litigious people in the world? Really? Seriously? Like, at the drop of a hat, I'm going to sue you. You, know, you. you cut me off. I'm going to sue you. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. And so it, it boils down to our rights. We, we've, we've turned and, and taken from the Decor- Declaration of Independence in the United States, which is an awesome document, you know, our unal- inalienable rights. We've turned our rights, my rights, your rights, into what? An idol. I mean, it's, it's almost got to the point a, a little bit when you think about it, like the whole idea of truth, which has become so relative. And I talked about this last week as part of Jesus' message about truthfulness. You know, the whole idea of your truth is your truth, but it's maybe not my truth, and, and we all should just live our truth, right? Well, it's almost like my rights are my rights, maybe not your rights, right? You might think it's right, I think it's wrong. It's crazy. But rights, rights, and our demand for our rights... It's endemic in our society. So let's have a look at this, these two examples that Jesus is going to give to us today. And as we've been seeing throughout the series, I think we put murder and anger together in the first one, and we realized it was about the sanctity of life, right? And that life is sacred to God. And then we looked at and put together two, uh, adultery and lust, that was fun, with divorce. Funny how those two could be put together, and we did. And we realized that, well, that's about the sanctity of marriage. Marriage is sacred to God. And then last week we saw that something else is very sacred to God, and it was about the sanctity of the truth. Truthfulness is sacred to God. And so today we're going to see two more. And the first I'm going to suggest to you is the sanctity of justice. So the first verse will be on screen. Read this with me. Jesus, again speaking, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Anybody ever heard that? Like every non-Christian has heard that, right? They have, and we'll find out why in just a second. So once again, Jesus begins by quoting a teaching that every Jew in that day would have heard from either the rabbis, any teacher or their parents all their lives. They would have heard this one. They would have heard this. They would have been taught this. And, and that is exactly how they would have heard it. And so this teaching is actually an amalgam of, of several verses taken from Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. And, and they represent, if you didn't know this, they represent the oldest law in the books in the world. They actually do. The law goes by the name, the law of retaliation, and it comes from the Latin. I love this because when I went to St. brebuff uh, Boys School in Toronto... Uh, from grade nine to grade 13. Um, That's what they had at that time, was grade 13. Uh, And uh, we had to learn Latin, so I I love Latin. And and it's actually taken from the Latin lex, which means law talionis, which means retaliation. So the first reference to this law can actually be found 2,000 years before Jesus, before Christ. And so it was on the books, it was a law. And people knew that it was a law. Now, some of our Western minds today, I think, I mean, it's probably a little bit like Democrat, Republican. Probably 50% of the people are right, yes, tooth for a tooth, an eye for an eye. That's why we got capital punishment, right? And then you got other people who are like, ooh, that sounds rather harsh, right? And it, it, it does, actually, when you think about it. But in the day that it was instituted, it was for a good reason, and to this day as well, if applied correctly. You see, the typical feud in those days was instituted when something like this happened in the day, 2,000 years before Christ. A small infraction by one tribe against another, something simple like just trespassing, you walked on my land, could result in someone from your tribe getting beaten. <laughs> and then, well, you beat somebody from our tribe, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to kill someone on your side of the fence, and then, then what would happen? would be like, okay, we're going to kill everybody. And there would be mass killings. L- literally, that's what happened. It, it might even be happening today, to this day, in some parts of the world. And so this law was brought in so that it could be managed, so that the offenses would be decided and it would be equitable. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth trespassing for trespassing or something that would offset that, but not a beating, certainly not death. And so it was, it was brought in to uh, eliminate the escalation. So it's a good law. Today, tex, Lex, pardon me, Talionis is the bedrock of our judicial system all across the world. All civil, penal, and institutional law is essentially based on this ideal and this law. The thing is, in the Bible and in the case of the biblical institution, it was given, listen, to judges in Israel. So it was not given to you or me or men and women in that day so that we could be vigilantes, carrying out the justice because there was a law. And so we would figure that, no, it had to be done by those who were judges, by the courts. Only the courts were given this power. So next, what we see happening is Jesus once again speaks to what he knows was their, and could be ours, abuse of the law. When he says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Man, I, I honestly, like a fly on a wall, I just would love to transport back and just, just, like, I'd like to be standing beside him when he says it, and I'd like to be looking at their eyeballs because it'd be like, oh, hold on, dude, Really? Are you serious? Do not resist. So as we've seen throughout these examples, Jesus continues with, but I say to you, by this point in time, this is the fifth example and we'll see the sixth shortly, they've got to be coming to the conclusion that when he says it like that, he is equating himself with the divine with God. He, he is literally saying, that, yeah, the law, you know, the Ten Commandments, yeah, I, I said that. okay. That's me speaking. And so when I say, but I say to you today, this is me speaking. And, and they were, I'm sure, picking up on this. So this, these brief words, like a few of those before, were shocking to their ears and, and must have and probably were misinterpreted, and I believe they have been to this day. So I want to look at that a little bit with you. Some have taken these words to be the foundation of a theology called non-resistance. Anyone ever heard of Gandhi? Like, Gandhi based his whole philosophy of non-resistance on the Sermon on the Mount and this. This part of the Sermon on the Mount. Essentially, people who are believing in non-resistance believe that non-resistance, not defending oneself or others, applies to every and all circumstances. Every and all. The famous Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy he detailed in his book, What I Believe, which is not his most famous book, as I will, I will show you, he personally came to the belief and, and said that in What I Believe, he came to the belief that Jesus meant this literally, like that he meant it literally. And, and, and so that's why he ended up writing War and Peace, because that is really the thesis of that book, is non-resistance. And so what we know today as pacifism uh, has come from this verse, mostly. Many pacifists also take this literally and therefore assert that no Christian listen should serve in the police department or in the military at all. Anabaptists, of which our denomination belongs to that theological camp, Anabaptists, um, hold to this teaching, but in certain ways, as I'll explain. In the case of our denom, it would be not so literally. Not so literally. But that's not the case for all Anabaptists. Last Sunday night, it was awesome. We had a membership class here, and we had six or seven people, I believe, upstairs going through our membership class. And we, uh, um, we were... Um, I was teaching about, you know, what we believe as a church and, and uh, you know, some of the doctrines and beliefs that we have and, and uh, what, what are the requirements for becoming a member at the Rock Church. One of them, just so you know, is that you, it's not that you have to be a pacifist. Okay? That wasn't on the membership sheet. However, there are Anabaptist denominations, and one in particular, that uh, very large church in the Toronto, the greater Toronto area, has many, many campuses. Uh, In their case, if you want to become a member of their church, well, let me put it this way, you cannot be a member of their church and in their denomination if you are a member of the police department or the military. And so that also means that Since you can't become a member, you cannot become a leader in their church. That's taking this pretty seriously, don't you think? It's taking it literally. So for our purposes here today, let me suggest this. Uh, Let me suggest more of a balanced view (laughs) of pacifism actually can be supported from Scripture, but I don't believe, and most commentators would agree, that this passage, this context, is actually speaking to that. Okay? Okay. So what we're going to see, I hope, today is that um, pacifism is a good thing in certain respects. However, force is justified in certain cases and strictly, however, in the hands of law, enforcement, and the courts. But for most pacifists, it would be, yeah, no, killing and war, we would stop there. We would be promoters of peace. I can go there. I think Jesus can too. So I believe that is essentially the view of our denomination. And that said, this verse, as I mentioned, does not support the extreme pacifist view. And one reason why I say that is the rest of Scripture. If you read the rest of the New Testament, and especially Paul's writing, uh, any of you have read Romans uh, 13, which I have read repeatedly over the last two and a half years because our government was bringing in certain mandates. Anybody remember those things? Right? And people in the church going, No, the government's awful. They're horrible. I'm like, can you read Romans 13, please? Okay? Because in Romans 13, Paul is basically telling us, he informs us that those who govern over and over us, our government, even those that we didn't vote for, are put there by God. They're not only put there by God, he has given them the power to punish wrongdoers. Read it. Romans 13, verses 1 to 7. And so what we have here is Jesus' teaching, frankly, as I said at the beginning, about the sanctity of justice. Justice, and we're going to define that in a minute, is sacred to God. And so let's look at what Jesus is saying and what he is really getting at and teaching. Jesus is going to give them and us four examples taken from, and this is important, their social context in that day. And that's sometimes how we misread this teaching. To show them two things. A, how they had gotten the law, lex talionis, wrong, and B, the heart of the law that leads to righteousness. These examples then are for those who are his disciples. It's at this point in the Sermon on the Mount where he is turning directly to those who are seated at his feet, and he's he's speaking specifically to them, present but also future context. And then he says these interesting words in verse 39b, where he says, but listen, If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Okay, now listen. You know, again, I was raised Catholic and uh, thought I was a Christian, but I wasn't. And I remember hearing stuff like this and I'd be like, not a chance. (laughs) Like, I played hockey. You know, and if someone slashed me, I'm just saying, like, you know, there was, there was a rule, right? And I just, I remember hearing these kind of teachings, I'm going, wow, this, this is really, Jesus, this is incredibly severe. I don't know. So again, you know, I'm, I'm confessing, but I think to our modern Western ears, this sounds quite bizarre, and many people will dismiss it right out of hand, pun intended. It seems at first blush to support the idea of complete non-resistance, doesn't it? sounds like it. But listen, that's not how it came across to their ears, to which you're saying, thank goodness. <laughs> so how did it come across? So, so listen, they would not have assumed um, that Jesus was speaking literally here. He wasn't speaking about a personal attack necessarily where someone actually slapped a person across the face. Did it happen? Of course it did. In that day, of course it did they would, of course, um, be thinking that the response would be uh, to, you know, use lex talionis, and of course, what would happen, sadly, is it would escalate. A slap would become, you know, a beating, and a beating would become someone would die, and on and on it would go. So when Jesus speaks of this here, they actually would have understood, because it would have been colloquial, it would have been Something that they would have understood in that day, and that is, is Jesus speaking about something as mundane as someone insulting you, and they would have picked that up, quite frankly, because of what they saw in this text, as we will see. And so, when Jesus speaks of insults in this context, he has in mind those who um, come at those insults that come as a result of one's faith. In this case, they might well have the right to go to court over the matter, but Jesus is saying this to them and to you and I here today. If you're my disciple, don't do that. Don't not only look for your rights and take it to court and fight for it, but especially over something as mundane as an insult. I take them rather seriously, quite frankly, and I think most of us do. But then we also need to remember what Jesus already taught them and taught us in the beautiful attitudes, right? Remember that last one? They were all interesting, but the last one was like, oh, really? We're flourishing, we're blessed. Look what it says. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely in my account. That would include insults. Rejoice and be glad for your reward. Listen, your reward is in heaven. It's great in heaven so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So again, like, yeah, back in my hockey days, I was a little bit more pugilistic. But I, but I also have to confess to you that today, when, when I see, listen, when I see our faith, when I see Christianity or the church or the word of God or other Christians insulted, maligned, yes, online, whether on social media platforms, podcasts and blogs, I, 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 I got to tell you, some of you know me. I want to respond. I'm learning. Anybody? It's, it's, it's interesting. It's not just the insult that I get, but I, I want to I fight on behalf of the insult of the other. We'll come back to that. Let's remember that. So let's all be honest here. When we are insulted, when our character and our hearts are maligned, we want to defend ourselves do we not? Let's also remember this. It's about the sanctity of justice. Whose justice? Well, let's remember Paul's words in Romans 12 19 as he quotes the Lord God speaking from Deuteronomy 32, where he says to the Christian, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Deuteronomy, vengeance is mine says the Lord. I will repay, says the Lord. Man, I don't know how many times early on in our marriage, Janice would say that to me. She would just quote that. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, Glenn. (laughs) And I'd be like, stop quoting that at me. I think it was her mother who started doing that, but anyway. The lesson is simple. God's justice will prevail. Sometimes, most of the times, we need to let his justice prevail. So the rest of his examples fall along the same idea. So we'll just cover them briefly, okay? The next is, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And so here the principle is about safety and security in that day. And, and, and so forms of restitution in that day, if someone had d- committed a crime or done something against you and it went to court, forms of restitution might have been imposed on the guilty might be money. You might have to pay the person some money. You might have to give some possessions to them, uh, which would include, listen, to the shirt off your back, which is actually where this saying kind of came from, was the way this was restituted in those days but it could also include your cloak now here's the thing it, it, a, a cloak in that day was was essential for everyone's safety and security because it's what they slept in and you know didn't have heat <laughs> certainly didn't have air conditioning but didn't have heat and so in cool weather a, a cloak was absolutely required so if if you went to court and someone got some you had to you know you had to pay them some money you had to give them the shirt off your back and your cloak the rule, the law was the court would do that, but you would have to return that person's cloak to them at dusk every evening. And then you can go and get it the next morning. But that was the law. And so, listen, when Jesus is speaking this way, they're hearing that and they're going, okay, yeah, we get this, right? Christian, Jesus is going beyond that for you and I. He's actually saying, now give them your cloak too. Paul goes on in Romans 12, verses 20 to 21 to say this, and he affirms Jesus in saying it. If your, look, enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not over, be overcome, pardon me, by evil, but overcome evil with good. Some people hear that pouring coals on their head and going, yeah, darn right. That's what I want to do. You're overcoming evil with good. And so Jesus is saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give your cloak too. He's amping this up. Then he says in verses 41 and 42, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Okay, God. So far, I'm with you. The cloak, I'm with you on the cloak, okay? But this is, so by now I think we know that Jesus is not literally saying that the extreme case scenario is the rule, but what these two examples should tell us is that the disciple of Christ, the one who has received the kingdom of God, who is an heir of all the things that Jesus has in the heavenly places today, they're all yours, everything is yours, you've already inherited it, then listen, to do the menial job? To do the job that nobody else wants to do? <laughs> to work for less when you know others are making more? To go the extra mile? Sure you can, and sure you should. So, so what's the rule in our, our world today? Well, the rule in the world today is, you know, I came from the business world. The, the, the rule today is to move up the food chain. It's the cli- to climb the org chart. Why? To make more money. This is different, isn't it? Th- this should give us a very different attitude to our work, our workplace, and why we're even there. Remember the story in Matthew 20 of the, 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 the master who uh, hires some uh, workers for his vineyard? Remember, he hires some people at 9 o'clock in the morning and he promises them a denarii, right? And then he hires some more at 12, and he promises them a denarii. But then he hires some more at 3, and then some more at one hour before the end of the workday, and he offers them all the same pay. Well, <laughs> at the end of the day, those who started at 9 come to him, and they're like, hold on. That's just not fair, right? right? They worked one hour, and they're getting the same as what we got. Well, what does the master say to them? Well, the master says to them, excuse me, I, I thought we had a deal. <laughs> D- did you not agree at 9 a.m. that a denarii was fair wage for the day? The master is God. Right? He's our God. And so I, I had to learn this lesson in my business life early. It took me a long time to really accept it. But the reality is is that I wasn't working for my customers when I was an entrepreneur. I wasn't working for my boss. I wasn't working for my co-workers per se, although I I, I was, but I I was working for him. He will reward me. He already has. That is the lesson and the heart in this text. It's also this. It, It applies, listen, not to giving money per se your money to every panhandler you walk by i mean i I worked at union gospel mission many of you know this for three and a half years people would all always ask me should i give money to people on the street and our our response usually would be probably not a good idea um you you could give them like a a a note that said hey union gospel mission has meals every day at four o'clock go there and get some food because if you give them money where could the money go right But the principle here is, the principle in the heart is this. If someone is truly in need and you have the money and the wherewithal to support them and help them, give it to them. But here's the heart further without requiring it to be repaid, without the expectation to be there. It's called called grace, right? It's called grace. So everything that Jesus teaches us here in this brief passage, is how our God views justice. It's a little different than ours, doesn't it? His view is much wider, and more focused than ours could ever be. So I think these are great lessons for us as we seek justice for those who are truly oppressed today, right? Now, listen, I know you all know this. Social justice is one of, if not the hottest issue in our culture today. It truly is. And for many professing Christians, it is. And that's generally, listen, a really good thing. We should be concerned about those things. But sometimes, listen, it is the most vocal, the most dedicated, and yes, especially online when it comes to those who are being oppressed and and suffering from injustices. It is those who appear to be the great champions, right? The most passionate about this issue, right? who maybe, listen, I used to be accused of living vicariously through my sons when they played hockey because I didn't make the NHL. And so, you know, maybe I was living vicariously through them that maybe they will, right? Put a lot of pressure on Matt. We can live vicariously also, seeking damages that have been done to us in the past, injustices and oppression that's been done towards us by seemingly... Caring for those who today are oppressed and suffering injustices. We need to be careful. Where's our heart on this? Is it us trying to get our vindication through this? Man, I think there are a lot of examples of that today. So just something for us to guard against. Okay, so that was the sanctity of justice taught by Jesus. I hope that lands well. Secondly, the sanctity of Flourishing love, I'm going to also say agape love. In verse 43, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Okay, so listen. (laughs) Like, I got to believe at that point in time, most of them are like, they've been hearing his teaching so far, he's been nailing them. One point after a time, I think at this point they must be going, okay, he's just caught us with our hands in the cookie jar, right? That last part was never in the Bible. Hate your enemy that was the first part was you all, you all know that love the whole Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and what love your neighbor as yourself. two great commands: hate your enemy, no, why was it there? Why did they add that well that 's important to know I, I think it was probably for two reasons: one simply was uh, they they assumed that Their enemy was also the enemy of God, so they were doing God a favor, right? But the the reality is, is they were actually being racist. Not just nationalistic, but a little racist. And so they hated their neighbors, those who were outside. And in their minds, they were outsiders of their camp, of their family, and of course, enemies of God. Another reason is that they heard they'd actually heard God refer to them as their enemies. but It's amazing they would hear that, but then they wouldn't hear the rest of the verses. Look what it says in Exodus 24, verses 3 and 4. If you come across, look, your enemy's ox. So this is the Lord God speaking here to the people of Israel and saying, your enemy's ox. Right, we have enemies. Well, hold on. That, or a donkey wandering off. Be sure to take it back to him. Oh, that's how I should treat my enemy. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help him with it. So what they missed, obviously, and we can too sometimes, is they missed that God wanted them to show the same kind of kindness that he had shown to them and their unfaithfulness to their neighbors, to their enemies, because you used to be an enemy of mine too in case you've forgotten. Then Jesus amps it up, and he says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. (sighs) Seriously radical. I love uh, how one commentator described this verse. It's beautiful. It won't be on screen, so let me repeat it twice. (laughs) i say it twice. First, he said this. To return evil for good is devilish. To return... To return good for good, that's merely human. To return good for evil, no, that's divine. To return evil for good is devilish. To return good for good is human. To return good for evil is godlike. Such a radical call to love. So here's the point for you and I. This is who disciples and faithful followers of Jesus are. We know by Jesus' own words in the Sermon on the Mount and in the writings of Paul, Peter, James, and John that we will, not might, we will suffer persecution from those who literally are today the enemies of God, of the cross of Christ. But our call is to love them. Just the way he loved us when we were his enemies. And Jesus then gives us a couple of reasons why we should love like this. Verse 45, he says, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. The first reason is that it makes us like God. It makes us like him. In the Hebrew, sons of the father meant that you would be like, that you would act like your father. You would emulate and model your father. Therefore, when we love our enemies, we act like God does towards us. He gives the example of how impartial God is toward all of us, right? He he says, look, he goes, "God, God sends the sun and the rain on both on you and his enemies, on you and your enemies. He's completely impartial. It's why we love to say God is good to what? To everyone. How? All the time. God is good to everyone all the time. The second reasons or reason is, are in his next words. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? So the second reason then is that it is this kind of impartial love, listen, that will separate us from the world. It will make us look completely different from the world. I mean, what he's saying is, come on, tax collectors are nice to each other, right? And, and, and bless each other. Why? Well, because they're part of the same socioeconomic group. They're part of the oppressed and outcast in that culture and day. What does that look like today? Well, it could be racial. It, it, it could be socioeconomic class. It, it could be, you know, I'm a rock climber and you're not. Okay. It could be for any number of reasons where we are showing partiality rather than being impartial towards others. So first, it's not a love just for people who are the same as us, from the same country, people, group, or as in race, as I said. It is also not a love just for those who are in our church here at The Rock versus any other church or any other denomination. No. Or for those who are outside our faith. Jesus is asking this. If you love only those kinds of people, what reward are you expecting that is any different than the reward that they're already getting from their narrow form of love? So so there's an emphasis here. There's a reward. It's called those blessings. It's called the good life. It's called human flourishing. Jesus concludes, and we will as well, with these words. You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so he ends the six examples of how righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees with the ultimate goal, which I'm sure you know, because I know you and I will not achieve in this life. But we will get there. He will get us there one day. We will get there. But the idea is, day by day, through the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, we are getting there. (laughs) We are getting there. And the purpose is not just for our own glory and for our own good life, but so that we will be a blessing to others. So friends, this kind of agape love is the result of continually, listen, brushing off the insults and the persecutions and arriving at the point where it's true that we can say, I love my enemies. And I am praying for those who persecute me. Listen, we have the best example ever, don't we? You remember what happened on the cross, right? You remember how Jesus prayed when he was being persecuted. Now, it's something that I'm not sure that you know, because I didn't know this in the past, but This prayer is what's called the perfect tense, the present perfect tense, which means he didn't just pray these words once. It means that he was praying them repeatedly. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, while they're sneering at me over there and heaping insults on me, forgive them. Oh, 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 and Father, while they're asking me to prove that I am God, the Son of God, to come down from this cross. Forgive them. Father, while they're dividing my garments, my cloak, amongst themselves, forgive them, for they know not what they do. May we learn more and more to pray like that and when. Pray with me, would you?